Good morning to everyone who's joining us today. Glad you are making this part of your day. Uh, it is a beautiful sunny Tuesday morning, and today we are looking at atonement theories, different ways of atonement that uh, that are in the Bible. Some of the songs that we sing in church, some of the hymns that we sing, what do they say about who God is? I think it's important that we have these conversations. It's important that we answer these questions so that we, when we talk about God, we can be clear about what we actually believe, because there's a lot of things that people say about God that that we might not actually believe. And so I think it's important that we we know as much as we can, and we, we know what the Bible says. And so as we talk about God, as we understand God, uh, it's important to have a clear idea of where that comes from, where our knowledge comes from, and what, what it is that we actually believe about God. So thank you for joining me today. I would say probably the two most well-known, maybe not the two most well-known, but the two that probably have been the most meaningful to me, atonement references are from John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay, so that's atonement, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then, from How Great Thou Art. And when I think... Of God his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. So, a couple things here. Uh, Both John 3.16 and how great thou art say that the Father sent the Son, right? The Father sent the Son. Uh, so that humanity could be saved through him, right? That's whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin, to take away my sin. So, you know, that through Jesus's death and resurrection, something happened, something happened that forgave us of our sins and that gave us salvation. So what actually happened? Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did he have to die? What did his death accomplish? And did the father need the son to die? So lots of lots of good questions. And again, it's important that we ask these questions. It's important that we think through these things because these questions and the theology behind it, they help shape our understanding of who God is and what God is like. And so when we talk about God, we talk about these things. And so it's important that we uh, talk about these things and have a a clear understanding of who God is, what God is like, and what God has done, and what God has done. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a look at five theories, five theories that use scripture to help explain why Jesus came, why Jesus died, and what happened. So those are the five theories that we're going to look at today. Okay, so the first theory we'll look at is the ransom theory. The idea that we were held ransom, that humanity was held ransom, and that when Jesus died, Jesus's death paid a ransom to free humanity. So humanity was abducted, was kidnapped, whatever, and there was a ransom, and that ransom was paid by the death of Jesus. So Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, Paul writes, You were bought at a price, therefore honor God. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God. So the idea that Jesus' death paid a ransom for us. 
Now, for those of you who have been Lutheran for a while, you might remember the old Lutheran book of worship, the old green hymnal. Uh, Does anybody have the green hymnal? Uh, And so in it is a hymn, Come, O Precious Ransom, Come. Come, O Precious Ransom, Come. It's not in the new hymnal, uh, and but this is a very popular atonement theory. People talk about that we have been purchased at a price, right? And the price that we've been purchased was the death of Jesus. There are other hymns and other songs that, that reference this. Uh, there's a, a famous kind of contemporary contemporary Christian writer. His name is Stuart Townsend. He grew up in the Church of England. He's English. He wrote a song called How Deep the Father's Love. Uh, and in that, the lyrics finish with, his wounds have paid my ransom. His wounds have paid my ransom. And so the idea behind this comes from all the way back in one, the year 182, Origin of Alexandria says that God purchases us with the priceless blood of the Lamb. So the priceless blood of the innocent Jesus is all that can is the only uh, is the only payment that is worthy enough that is valuable enough uh, to uh, to free humanity. So this this leads to another question, though. This leads to another question: If Jesus purchased us with His blood, then who did Jesus purchase us from? Who did Jesus purchase us from? And so. Uh, the answer, most people would say, is that Adam and Eve sold humanity to the devil at the time of the fall uh, in Genesis Genesis chapter 3. And so then uh, Augustine of Hippo in 354 writes that, so then God tricks the devil. God tricks the devil. Uh, God orders the devil then to leave humanity alone because the devil shed the blood of an innocent. So here's here kind of further explanation of that. Romans 6.23 says the wage of sin is death. And so then through sin, which leads to death, sin, you know, the devil has, the devil is the one who introduces sin into our lives and tries to get us to sin. And that sin leads to death. And so through that death caused by sin, the devil now has power over humanity. So through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the devil's power over humanity through death is destroyed. And so the devil thinks that the devil wins when Jesus dies, but when Jesus rises again, then the devil realizes, oh, I was tricked. I was tricked, right? And so so that's the ransom theory, that that in through that death and resurrection of Jesus, a ransom was paid. Uh, and so now now we are free. We are we have been bought with a price. We are free to free from the consequences of sin, which is which is hell. So um, that's uh, that's the ransom theory. I wonder if you've heard that one before, uh, and if so, what you think of it. If uh, if that's helped you, have you heard people use that before in a sermon? Have you have you you know is that something that's a common belief for you? Now let, we're going on to the uh, a new theory. The um, this one is actually older than the other one. This goes back all the way to the year one hundred, and it was uh, kind of created by Justin Martyr. This was uh, his theory, and it's the Christus Victor theory. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So here's the idea that that there is a cosmic battle between God and Satan, between good versus evil. And on the cross, Jesus uh, Jesus overcame 
overcame that the powers of evil uh, through the through the resurrection. And so um, these are these are this is kind of a very popular you know, the spiritual warfare stuff, right? Um, that there are forces of evil in our lives and in the world at work, uh, and that Jesus has defeated them once and for all. And so this is the kind of the theology behind a mighty fortress is our God, right? That's a very popular Lutheran hymn. Uh, and so this is a, a mighty fortress is our God. Onward Christian soldiers, this idea that we are at war. Christ is the royal conqueror in the cosmic battle with Satan. Uh, and so this one is not as much about Jesus's death, but his resurrection. Because in his resurrection, he rises as the victor as victorious as the conqueror. Uh, and so this is this one is really kind of helpful for us as we try to make sense of our daily struggle against evil forces uh, beyond human sins, right? It just seems like there is evil in the world. Where does that evil come from? Well, there is a force of evil that is fighting against a force of good. And so this kind of helps us describe our daily struggles with the power of evil, the power of temptation. Uh, and so... This is the, the Christus victor theory, where Christ is the victor. Christ has won the battle over Satan, over the forces of evil, uh, over all the things that defy God, right? And so through the resurrection, Christ has shown that he is more powerful and that he has won. Uh, and so, but the, the struggle continues. The struggle continues. Christ has won. The victory is won. But now it's like Satan and Satan's forces are, are kind of like terrorists in that they attack God's people, knowing that they can't attack God directly, and because if they do, that they're going to lose, because Jesus is more powerful. So this is the Christus Victor theory. It goes back to the year 100 and was started by Justin Martyr, who becomes the first martyr. Well, I wouldn't say he's the first. I would say Stephen is the first, but but he becomes the they take his name, martyr, to, to understand uh, people who die for the faith or to explain someone who has died for the faith. So we've gone through the ransom theory and the Christus Victor theory. So we've got three more to go. Okay, so moving on to the third theory, it's the moral influence theory. And this one is kind of new. It's only a thousand years old uh, from the year 1079, Peter Abelard. Uh, the moral influence theory. Okay, so this is going to be quite different. The cross reveals God's love that spurs our responsive love. The cross is where God shows the world how much the world is loved. Jesus died so that you would know that you are loved. Jesus died so that all of humanity would know that God loves us. This is in the cross of Christ I glory, right? Uh, that's a very famous hymn. I hope uh, I hope you all understand that one or know that one. In the cross of Christ, that glory towering over the wrecks of time. Uh, verse three, when the sun of bliss is beaming light and love upon my way from the cross, the radiant streaming adds more luster to the day. So from the cross, radiance of light and love is beaming. And so on the cross, the, the cross is where the nature of God is revealed to humanity and the nature of God is love. And so uh, Christ's work is not to appease God. It's not to pay a ransom to the devil, uh, but it's to transform human hearts. It's to say, you are loved. You are loved. Now go and love. And so now it's, it's more about 
the more the morality of of those who are transformed, the morality of those who who see the cross, who understand what happens there, and now goes out as a transformed person, changing uh, changing their ways. So uh, it put an puts an emphasis on Jesus's entire life, not just his death and resurrection, right? Because all the majority of the gospel accounts are what Jesus had to say, and so this helps us to focus on what he had to say and learning from him. And this is a big difference here. This then is a call to uh, following Jesus, imitating Jesus, not just worshiping Jesus. You can worship God because God is great, right? You can worship God and not be transformed and not change your life. But this says, I'm going to worship and I'm going to try to intimidate. I'm going to try to imitate Jesus. I'm going to try and do the things that Jesus taught me to do. I am going to let Jesus influence my life. I'm going to let the things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus did, influence my life. Because I see the cross, and I know that I am loved, because I know that he rose from the dead, I am going to let that uh, affect my life, impact my life. I am going to imitate Jesus. Okay, so you say, where where can we find scriptural basis for this. Well, all over the New Testament. All over the New Testament. First Peter 2, 21, Peter writes, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. So we follow in the steps of Jesus. First John chapter 2, verse 6, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So if you say you abide in Christ, you walk in the same way that Jesus walked. You live the same way Jesus lived. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us. Matthew 5, verse 16, Jesus said in the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so this is the, a theory that's moral influence. Jesus died so that you would know that you are loved, and your response to that love would be to live a life in which you imitate Jesus, where you take the, the teachings of Jesus and you those become part of your life. You actively and intentionally try to become more like Jesus. So that's the moral influence theory. Now, one that uh, is very new, only 500 years old, the penal substitution theory. This kind of came from John Calvin and right around 1545, right at the end of the Reformation, kind of end of uh, Martin Luther's life. Uh, And this comes from a couple, couple verses. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then Hebrews 9, 11, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so blood has to be shed for forgiveness to happen, right? That's what Hebrews just said. Corinthians just said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that his blood could be shed and in the shedding of his blood, there would be forgiveness. There's kind of a famous, uh, again, written by Stuart Townsend, a contemporary song, In Christ Alone. I don't know if you've heard that song. In Christ Alone, who took our flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, the gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. 
For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. The wrath of God was satisfied because Jesus died. So a couple years ago, 2013, the Presbyterians wanted to put that song in their new hymnal. And so they reached out to the writers, Stuart Townsend and Keith Getty, and said, we want to put it in, but, but we want you to change that line, the wrath of God was satisfied. And they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. So it didn't go in the hymnal. Uh, they didn't do it because they, they wanted the Presbyterian church wanted this theology, did not want this theology in their hymnal, that the wrath of God was satisfied, this penal substitution theory. Even though John Calvin, who's seen as the father of the Presbyterian church, is the one who came up with it, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, but what this tells us about God, what does this tell us about God? It's either that, that God is unwilling or unable to simply forgive sin without blood being shed first. That God is unwilling or unable God is saying, I cannot forgive your sin unless you there is blood that is shed. So the, another way of seeing this is well, divine child abuse, right? Unless I kill my own son, I'm not going to forgive the people. I'm not going to forgive humanity. And that's a problem for some people. So uh, Jesus's death then is by his own choice uh, at the because it is the will of the Father. And it, so Jesus sees himself as a substitute for our punishment. So his death on the cross is a substitute for our punishment. Now, this this is a theory that you can find all over the place. The penal sub, the idea, I mean, I don't know if you've, you've heard people talk about, you know, imagine yourself in a courtroom and you're being prosecuted and just as you're about to get a death penalty or a sentence, Jesus steps up and takes your place, right? You know, this is Jesus takes your place. Jesus takes your punishment. Jesus, Jesus takes from God what, what you would have coming to you. But this this limits the power of God. This limits the power of God. This is, God is unwilling or unable to forgive somebody without the death of Jesus. Claudia says, not liking this one. A lot of people don't like this one. Uh, but in the end, the, the, the final of this is that Jesus' death abolishes all the evil that is in us so that we may be clean and new. Right? Jesus, we are washed in the blood of Christ, right? Through the blood, we have been cleansed, right? This is, you know, this is the kind of Baptist. Through the blood of Jesus, we have been cleansed. Through the blood of Jesus, we have been washed. Uh, and, and so it is Jesus taking our place. So uh, penal substitution theory, a lot of people have problems with that. I uh, would love to hear what you think about that. Okay, so we'll go to the last one then. The last one is the last scapegoat theory, and this one is about 100 years old. This one came from Rene Girard. Bible reference here is John 1.29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this is this is Eucharistic liturgy. This is Lutheran liturgy. The Agnus Dei, right? Lamb of Agnus Dei is Latin for Lamb of God, and so we sing this as part of our Eucharistic liturgy. So, Lamb of God is something that's very, very common. Uh, so, what does Lamb of God say? What does the last scapegoat theory say? Well, it says that human violence killed Jesus, not God's wrath, not Jesus's voluntary decision, but Jesus died as a victim of an oppressive empire. The oppressive empire was Rome, and Rome didn't care about your life if you weren't a Roman citizen. And so 
Pontius Pilate said, yep, go, you can kill him, whatever. I know he didn't do anything wrong, but go ahead and kill him. It doesn't matter. Because Rome was all-powerful. Rome could do whatever they wanted. It didn't matter. Go ahead. It doesn't matter. So it was human violence that killed Jesus. It was human violence that killed Jesus. But here's the important theological, here's the important theological part of that. Ancient religions, including the Jewish religion, often sacrificed one for the sake of many. So on the, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, they would sacrifice a, a lamb, and they would say, there, look at that thing. Look at that lamb. Look at that lamb we sacrificed. Because we can see that lamb, because the blood of that lamb was shed, we know that our sins are forgiven. Because we can see that thing. Because the blood of that thing was shed, we now know and trust that our sins are forgiven. And so that's what Jesus is then. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because we know his blood was shed, and because blood needs to be shed by, you know, so that we can know we are forgiven, we, we need something to point to and say, because of that, because of that right there, I know that I'm forgiven. And so that's what Jesus is. Jesus is the lamb that we nail to a cross so that we can look to the cross whenever we need to, to remember that a sacrifice was made, a lamb was slain, and because a lamb was slain, we know that our sins are forgiven. We have something we can point to. So that's the last scapegoat theory. So there's there's five theories. There's several more, several more that, you know, I mean, we could do this all day. These are probably the five most popular, though, so that's why I shared these five uh, which one do you agree with? Which one do you disagree with? The interesting thing about this is that Scripture scripture supports them all. You can take one verse out of Scripture and you can, you can come up with a whole theology about atonement. You can come up with all kinds of stuff. And, and you can say, this is what the Bible says. And the Bible does say that. And so we can, we can talk about which one we like and which one we don't like. But what we can't say is that's not biblical because... They are. They are. You know, it's interesting. We don't want to sing that hymn, a hymn with that theology in it. Well, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. I mean, if it's in the Bible, it's, it's a theology we agree with. If it's in the Bible, it's Lutheran because, you know, we, be, we believe in the Bible, right? And so uh, lots of interesting stuff. Now, here's, what, here's where we need to finish. Here's what's important. What's important is that you don't need to pick one. You don't need to pick one atonement theory. You can combine them. You can combine the moral influence theory with any other theory. You can create your own based on, based on a combination of different ones. You can come up with whatever, as long as it is biblical, right? As long as you have a biblical basis for what you believe you can come up kind of with your own theory, which is a hybrid of these other theories. As I said at the beginning, it's, it's important that we understand what the Bible says about who God is, why Jesus came, why Jesus died, what, what Jesus accomplished, so that we can, when we talk to others about our faith, we know what we're talking about. We, we have a clear understanding of what it is that we're actually talking about. And so we can talk about the moral influence theory that, that Jesus died so that we would know that we were loved. And we can combine that with the last scapegoat theory that Jesus went to the cross because our human violence put him on the cross. But he went there so that we would know that we were loved, but also so that we could kill something and say that we have a sacrifice that we can point to. Right. You can kind of combine these and you can create what works for you so that you have a clear understanding 
of why Jesus came, why Jesus died, what was accomplished, and what the meaning of his life was. It's all part of understanding what it means to believe in Jesus and to follow Jesus. So we will stop there. We'll stop there. So uh, this is fun for me. I find this stuff incredibly fascinating. And uh, if, um, you know, if this, if, if this leads to more questions for you, that's great. Feel free to send them to me. Would love to uh, answer any of the questions that you might have. Uh, some questions, you know, some questions may not have a clear answer uh, because we're talking about things that are mis- mysterious, but uh, it's still, uh, I think, very important to uh, to study these, to think through them, and to come up for ourselves uh, what it is that, uh, that we believe. So um, let's uh, close with prayer. Lord, we thank you for the many... Th- blessings that you've given us. We thank you for sending your son so that we would know that we are loved. Uh, We thank you that he died for us so that we would know that we are forgiven. We thank you that he rose again and promises to us that we will rise too. So uh, we pray that as we go through life, we would do our best to imitate you and share your love with others. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody have a great day. I will see you Thursday morning at 1030. Take care of yourselves. Bye.